everybody. Welcome to episode 26 of Making It. I'm Bob Claggett here with David Picciuto and Jimmy Duresta. What's up, guys? Howdy, howdy. Hey. Hello. I want to ask you guys if you like our show, which I hope you like our show. I but do. if you do, I, well, that's good. Okay, we got one. So right. if you like our show, go to iTunes, uh, leave us a review and a rating because that helps us get up in the charts there, which gets us in front of more people and all that stuff. And um, we also love just the feed. We like the feedback there, but we also love the feedback on the website. You can leave comments about episodes and you can tweet at us at um, Making It Podcast mm-hmm. on Twitter. So that's always good. Um, and I want to thank today's sponsor, Inventables. They've been sponsoring us all this month because they're awesome, and uh, we really like Inventables. They have great machines. They have great materials that you can buy, all sorts of stuff, different types of wood. They have some like really crazy wood. We um, went to the warehouse when we were in Chicago, David. Do you remember all the different types of like exotic stuff that they had? Um, they, did they have some sort of like swamp ash or something? There were some weird things that I'd never even heard yeah, of. Yeah, they, they had some cypress, like swamp cypress. They had like zebra wood. There's purple heart. They have... Yeah, purple heart, red heart, or something. Some other colored heart. They have a lot of different yeah. types. I was really surprised. Me too. And it was all yeah. like smooth and, and, and ready to go. I was like, ah, just just fill up my cart with all of it. <laughs> Bill me later. So if you guys are interested in getting some like small pieces of exotics, um, I mean, you know, relatively small, go check out Inventables.com. You can find lots of different types of wood and lots of other stuff there. And uh, yeah, thanks to Inventables for sponsoring this one. So, what are we working on? Thank you. David. I think I've said this the last couple weeks. I'm still working on the guitar, but now it's turned into two guitars. So, when I when I bought the the Ash, uh, I Did you I, feed it after midnight? <laughs> 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 turned into a bunch of evil guitars. Yeah. Um, so I bought enough Ash and I I glued it up. I'm like, "Hey, there's enough here for two guitars." And I'm actually going to split it up into two videos. One, a completely CNC'd guitar. And then the other one, all non-CNC. And the plan is to release both videos on the same day. Um, I don't know if that will happen because one's definitely going to get done before the other. But so, yes, I am still working on the guitars. I had to leave for a few days, so I didn't I didn't get as much done as I as I wanted to. But that should be cool, though. It'd be cool to see the same thing done in two different ways and like be able to compare how long it takes and all that. Yep. Yep. So yeah, the the, the non CNC one involves a template. So I can I can then take this plywood template and make the same guitar in the future just with a plush trim bit. So very nice. cool. The hardest thing about making those guitars is making sure you get the neck neck placement correct in yes. in relationship to the bridge. That's like the hardest thing. So whenever I've ever had to make a body from scratch, I've always just found a good guitar and made sure I knew well, know, the, the tonality of the neck and made sure that I just copied the exact placement for the pocket compared to the bridge. Well, what, I, what I've learned is do the bridge last. So get, right. get, the, get the neck pocket all set. And it needs to be nice and, and snug. And then what you do is you kind of string up the guitar so the strings are running through the bridge. And then you, you have to measure. I, I forget the exact measurement. Somebody's going to correct me. But it might be like 25 inches from the, from the nut. And then, but you just kind of move the bridge over so it's it's properly placed down the neck and over the pickups, and then you mark your holes where you need to drill. So the strings are hmm. are it's it's kind of halfway strung up, and then you you find where the bridge goes from there. So it's really just about like eyeing, getting everything lined up by eye. There's no like math to 
exactly where it needs to be or anything. It, it does need to be like a certain distance from from the nut. And then even if you're off just a little bit, the bridge that I'm using will allow for some adjustment and Oh, right. Okay. I've been watching a lot of guitar videos and I got a couple guitar books that I ordered a few weeks ago. I've been flipping through there and there's some just you can learn so many awesome woodworking techniques from these guitar makers. Oh, stuff. for sure, yeah. And the ukulele's yeah. been a big trend in the last couple of years. I know Nick made a ukulele and then uh uh Brian uh the guy I mentioned a couple weeks ago, uh Brian, he made a ukulele. Uh you could follow it on Instagram from beginning all the way through. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Um what I've been working on, let's see what I've been working on. I just finished the Nashville Skyline Dickel sign, which is a project that was paid to do and uh so I'm just making a shipping crate for that cuz it's got to get shipped to Nashville. I finished that this afternoon and now I'm working on the shipping crate and um I'm working on my old Chevy, which is a real exciting project. I just uh, I pulled the seat out to do my cowhide seat video, and uh, that's exciting. If you guys noticed over the last weekend, uh, Willie, my buddy Willie, and I got the car running for the first time. We got it running, nice. and, and I was like, it, we, we, it's such a funny moment in time. I wish it had been more on camera. We, we changed the spark plugs, the wires, everything, and, and uh, at the last minute, we, nothing was making it run. The battery was about to die. I bought a new battery to try and get it going. And then I said, oh, on a last minute whim, let's change the points. So I changed the points, which I haven't done since literally I was in high school in the 80s. I haven't changed points on a car. And then, uh, you know, I always remember to leave the gap on top of the, the lobe. All this, if any old car enthusiasts know what I'm talking about. Leave the gap open the width of a matchbook cover. And so we just guessed. Anyway, I had no idea it would start. We hit it with starter fluid and it started immediately. I couldn't believe it because it was uh, giving me nothing for last week and the previous week. And uh, it started. So I said, we got to get this on camera. So we, it ran just with a little bit of starter fluid we put in it. And then the next take was what I did on camera on Instagram. And uh, it was so exciting that like, it has brain activity. That's what I said. I go, if we can get this thing, if it has brain activity, then I know I'm going to play with it. If it doesn't, I'll just take what I need off it and junk it. So I was able to get it running, and now I, I had to pull out the gas tank. I pulled the seat out for that other video, and I just ordered all the brake parts that I'm going to, because it needs completely new brakes. It needs maybe new brake lines. So all these things I haven't done in 35 years, I'm getting to do again, and I'm going to document the process and play around with it, and I'll make it into a little rat rod and uh, have fun with it. I'm just going to have fun with it. Do you enjoy the process of gas tank, brake lines, and all that? No, I've never done it. I mean, it's 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 totally dirty, smelly work because the gas in there has been in there. Like literally, I I put a little gas in thinking I was going to get it to run through the lines. Nothing ran. I was like watching the the fuel filter. Nothing was going. So I knew that the gas tank was clogged up. And so I poured the gas out that I put in it, and the gas tank still weighed like thirty five pounds, and nothing was pouring out of it. Mm. So there's like probably like four inches of sludge in the bottom of the gas tank. Probably have to change the lines. And uh, for me, I'm just kind of approaching it like an interesting puzzle. And just uh, one step at a time, you know, like I said, now that I know I established brain activity, I know that I can get it working. And uh, we get, we actually threw some gas in the carburetor and kept spritzing it and we got it run. It was running for like 10 full minutes. We just kept spraying starter fluid, which is probably not good for it. So don't troll me on this. The car is a piece <laughs> of junk. We're just having fun with it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm excited about that. And uh, of course, the whole impetus for getting this car was the George Dickel whiskey uh, display out of the bed and, and that's moving along as well so and that looks pretty cool I was able to uh, send along some progress shots to the client this week and they really like it and if it goes well we'll do more so um, I got my feelers out for all cool old stepside trucks all around the tri-state area hmm. so 
It's fun. I hope so you're going to end up with a whole fun. bunch of trucks with no beds on them. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't kidding. I swear to God, because my buddy and <laughs> my good buddy in, in Knoxville, uh, he called me this week and he says he wants to sell his 67 Ford F100 step side. And it's yellow and it's all beat up. And, you know, it's good. It's, it actually runs, but it's, it's a good starter truck for, for a makeover. And uh, so I'm actually, I, I sent it to the client. I was like, hey, if you want to do another one, let me know. I got this truck on deck. So we'll hmm. see. We'll see where it goes. But it's fun. And everything's being documented. So it'll all come out in videos in time. Nice. I almost bought a truck maybe a month ago, two months ago. I've been wanting one for a long time. And I keep thinking I have a good excuse. Like I need to be able to carry sheets of plywood and stuff. And then when it got down to found a good truck, this guy, Joel, I know, Joel, hey, Joel, he listens, um, almost bought this truck. And then I was like, there's probably not AC, is there? He's like, no, it's from the 80s. You know, it's like Ford something. And I thought about like, I can't justify three cars and I can't justify <laughs> buying a car that's going to be my like main driver with no AC in Savannah where it's like 100 and whatever degrees all the time. <laughs> so... <laughs> Had to kind of bail on that idea for now, but I'd really love to get an old truck like that and fix it up. Maybe I can add AC yeah, to an old truck. Like it's that. a lot of fun. It's it's a, it's just fun just playing around. And like I said, I, I mean, many people know that I have a, a 1969 Chevy C10 that I bought as a project car. But when I got it, all I really needed to do was change the the master cylinder and the carburetor, and that literally took me like an hour each. And and the car is really in good shape, and there's nothing really to do to it except for the C project. But now having this supplemental car which is everything's the same shape and it's a total rust bucket i could really have fun with it and not worry about losing any value in it because i mean the value is completely gone so <laughs> having that freedom to to like wrench on something that absolutely is worthless is it's it's actually it's an interesting freedom that you, you don't think about until all of a sudden you have this thing that doesn't matter i mean it's always like mm. one step away from being junked anyway i mean i am putting a little bit of money into it now i bought all these parts but you know, I, I'm I'm just approaching it as like a, just a fun project to have to, to have play time with. Really, it takes my mind off of everything else. It really is just kind of like a, it's the hobby among all my other hobbies. So it's fun. It's just fun for what it is. Yeah, kind of along those same lines. Like I I am, I was I did an interview a couple weeks ago, and one of the questions was about like engaging kids and stuff. And one of the things that I've done with my kids where I I take old electronics that like an old VCR or whatever, and I give them to my kids with a screwdriver and be like, take it apart. And the first time I did that, my son was like, well, what if I'm, what if I break it? I'm like, you can't break it. There's no way you can do any damage to this. That matters. <laughs> and he was just like, you could just see it in his eyes. Like, really? Like I can destroy <laughs> this on purpose. <laughs> that's how yes, I feel. That, that, <laughs> that's the best way to explore something is to find something that you can't break, you know, and, and just go mm -hmm. for it. So yeah, I can imagine that's, Probably pretty cool to feel that same feeling on a truck, you know. Because <laughs> yeah. be it's cool. all paid for already. It's like you know, I, I've already made money on just buying it because because of, of the project. It was you know the the impetus for the project, right? Which was the, the the bed. So yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's fun, and the bed the bed's going to be a cool video. There's some really cool shots coming out of that one as well. So nice. Well, for me, I um I just put up a video today of some floating shelves that I did at a friend's house. They're He's like, they are kind of fake beams. They look like thick beams and they're inset in this little brick inset in their house. And um, so I got that up. And then I'm actually today working on another type of floating shelf, totally different construction, totally different look, aesthetic. Um, but yeah, so I'm working on that. And I'm not sure if I'm going to release that anytime soon because I don't want to do two, you know, 
Hmm. Even though they would only be titled the same, that's about the only thing that would be similar. But I don't know if I want to release two similarly titled videos. So I may hang on to that one for a while. But that's what I'm doing. And then I'm in the middle of probably going to start some major shop reorganization here pretty soon. So I'm spending a lot of time figuring that out. What's wrong with your shop now that needs to be reorganized? Well, um, so I upgraded my X-Carve from Inventables, who sponsors this episode. Um, uh, I, I upgraded it to the big one, like you have, and it's really big. It's hmm. Which is great, it is but it's big. really big. I have the same one. Small shop. So I'm working on some plans for that, and just part of thinking about that I actually have a spot to put it where it, I wouldn't have to move anything, but thinking about that got me thinking about like consolidating some of my stuff, and then that got me thinking about getting a bigger dust collector. And once I do that, then I have to have more of a footprint available for the dust collector, which just moves everything, you know. So it's kind of like one of those I could make one small change that would then cause hmm. ten big changes, yeah. and um, so none of it's necessary. I'm just kind of at this point thinking through the impact of, of making some of those changes and whether it's worthwhile, you know, it might not be worthwhile because that's going to, you know, gutting a shop and redoing, it's going to set me back a week or two weeks or something like that from yeah. work. So, and then the on other the other side I of the wall, I've got, I've got the same stuff going on in my office where I'm like, I need an electronic station. I need, you know, some 3d printing space and I don't really have any floor space. So there's reorg that has to happen there as well. And now does your reorgan- reorganization, does it involve, workflow or does it just involve like this is the space that I have this has to go here um it's kind of both I, I mean I don't, I'm very limited on space in both rooms and I keep adding more stuff to the same amount of space so it's really about trying to find ways to combine uh workspaces yeah. and combine surfaces that's a big thing that I have to do but then there's also, I have to take into consideration how things have to be shot, you know, on video. So like the 3D printer and the the, the uh, electronics station, I want those to be easily shootable areas. Okay. And so I can't block them by other things. You know, I can't put it behind something or I can't put it around a corner or right next to the laundry or something, you know. So there, it's kind of a mixture of like what actually has to work and how easily I can shoot things to make my work easier, you know, going forward. So... And that's the type of thing that I spend a lot of time thinking about, um, you know, before I actually do any of the moving and all that stuff. So that's where I'm at now. Yeah. Did you guys happen to notice on Instagram that I, I, I put that, I keep calling it my wood library in the end of my container? Did you guys happen to notice that? I, I basically, I was trying to figure oh. out, I had all this hardwood and I don't know what to do with it. Some of the planks are 16 feet long. I really didn't know where to put it and it was just piled up in my container. I couldn't use any of it because it just literally, it was a giant pile of wood. I could only use what was at the top and it was never the piece I needed. So um, uh, Willie, my buddy and I, we uh, up at the house, we built this grid. It's uh, three wide and four high and each square is 20 inches by 20 inches. And it's a library, basically. It's like basically like putting wood on two sawhorses, but each square is its own opening. There's a one in the front, one in the back. So like a big heavy plank becomes the bottom of the pack, and then I put all on top. But now I have, I have 12 squares, and out of those 12 squares, I could put oak in this one, mahogany in this one. And I happen to have all this different stuff from when I bought out that shop last year. So I got planks on top of planks. On top. I have so much wood I don't know what to do with, and it was taking up all the space in my city shop. So over the weekend, I, I, over the last week, I bit the bullet. And last Thursday, we spent the whole day, went and bought wood, two by fours, built out this whole grid. Hmm. 
pulled everything out of the container, which was a job in of itself because I have motorcycles and all kinds of stuff in there. And I used the whole back half of the container for this wood library. And now all of a sudden I have all this room and now I can simply go grab a plank of wood, just flip a couple out of the mm. way and I get the plank I need instead of having to move a giant pile of wood. So it, and it works better than a lot of shops you see. And I guess it's just also a matter of how you can organize the exact space you have. A lot of shops have it on the wall. And that's where I was thinking I was going to go in the, in the container. I was going to make one whole side the dedicated wall with just rods coming out and hooking on the rods. But by having this in the end, looking straight in the end, I could see the end of all the different types of wood. And, and I don't necessarily have to move anything out of the rack. I could just flip it to the side because nothing's wider than 20 inches. So I could like roll it to the side, take the piece out, roll it back, You know, the piece that was on top of uh, underneath. And uh, it's, it's worked out. It's only been one week now, but I have so much more wood in the shop that I could move upstate and get out of my shop, and I'm going to end up with a lot more room, hmm. which is the reason I haven't been able to set up an expo because I, don't have a, I really don't have like a, a three-by-three-foot space to dedicate to it right now. I know it sounds crazy, but I just had so many things in the shop, so I'm slowly moving everything out of the city. So, uh, in, <laughs> yeah, so in five years, when you move out to your, your house, you'll <laughs> That's already right. have all the wood out there. That's right. Yeah. Getting to our topic of the day. Where do we see ourselves in five years? <laughs> That's yeah. absolutely right. Because uh, I have a five-year lease left on my shop in the city. And I would like to be out of there at the end of my five-year lease. Today, we're talking about where we're going to be in five years from now. Because like if you go to like get a job at McDonald's and the manager says to you, where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> you mean five minutes from now. I won't be here. But uh, if, you, if you work for yourself, you got to keep kind of thinking five years down the road. And... Um, We've been asked this question several times individually, and uh, personally, it's a good way to start. Is me personally, I'd like to be upstate full time in five years from now, mm. and uh, trying to raise some money to build that shop. I'm trying to avoid taking out a mortgage. I've said this a few times. Um, a little bit of my own money and a little bit of donated money. Trying to figure out how. Uh, again, I might do a Kickstarter. I might do something, but um, yeah, it's just. So- so much more refreshing working upstate. I mean, I'm working on the truck bed project up there out in the open and and it's just, it's so nice to work with the sun around you and green grass and trees. And uh, I'm working on a new project. My Core 77 video is going to be this bench that is going to be like dovetailed together that should be out in the beginning of July. And uh, you'll see, Willie was up there for five days with me, my buddy Willie. So you see Willie and I take the wood out of the rack that I'm talking about. So that'll be in the video. And this plank of wood I bought years ago at the sawmill, it's uh, 16 inches wide by two and a half inches thick by nine feet long. And it weighs like 200 pounds. So Willie and I carry it out, put it in my quad and carry it all the way over to the shop and then start working on it. So that's, that's the goal to do that. And then once it's wintertime, I'll be working inside the building that isn't built yet in hmm. five years from now. But now, what do you, that's, how that's do you, long term. So, you know, you work with a lot of corporate clients now. Um, mm-hmm. and some like design clients and stuff. How do you think that will be affected by you not being in the city, or will it? Uh, it won't, I don't think it will. I mean, I don't, uh, nobody really noticed this little shelf project I did. I've been trying to do a little bit, like, I keep talking about Snapchat. I'm trying to put like things on Snapchat that I wouldn't otherwise make a video of. And I recently talked about these two shelves I made out of just old beams. I made them for a client. Uh, she just literally called me and said, hey, I need two old beams. She described how she wanted it. She saw one of my videos where I made this sort of secret clips. She's like, do it like you did in those, that video. And I said, okay, cool. And so I made them. I never even actually met her. I brought them back down to the city. And uh, I had to leave. So I, I, my buddy Ryan, who's my, one of my shop mates, Ryan met her and, and handed them off. And she did it all 
you know, I didn't have to do the install, but in this case, mm-hmm. so her carpenter did the install. So, um, you know, more and more stuff like that. And then my corporate clients, does it doesn't matter at all. I mean, I'm making this Nashville sign, and the client who ordered the gig said, just let me know when to send somebody to pick it up. And let me know how heavy it is and how big it's going to be. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I get to say, come next Tuesday, it, it's eight by four, and it's six inches thick, and it weighs 200 pounds. And he go, okay. So he'll set it up with the shipper. And then I just have to be there to meet him. So, I mean, uh, I could certainly ship from upstate. There's not a problem there. Hmm. Yeah, so um, it's fun. And what I really want to do with the shop, uh, provided that I I still have a life in YouTube, which I don't foresee it going anywhere, but um, in five years from now, if I did have this shop that I'm dreaming of and and I still am able to continue to to grow fans, I would – I would like to do more like open the shop up and have like seminars and have like people come for the weekend. So I kind of picture this thing where like 10 people at a time are in the shop and each one of us from beginners to uh, experts in one field or another are all there to kind of share ideas. So you might be an expert TIG welder, you know how to cast jewelry, you know, you know how to build cool, you know, boats, so on. So that's the idea is that we could, uh, that's that's like the, the long term goal upstate is to have like this open sort of forum and I have the house there where I rent that I rent out so people could stay in the house. Hmm. So that's, that's definitely, uh, you know, my, my long-term five-year plan is, is hopefully to, to get out of here and, and have sort of a school slash workshop upstate and also a really killer shop that I could make really killer videos in. So nice. I want to continue. You're going to need a, you're gonna need a giant sign that says Camp Duresta on the front of it. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the, the place used to be called Idle Hour Farm. So Taylor did all the branding for Idle Hour Farm. You only really see it when you're at the house. It's, we don't have it online or anything. But Idle Hour Farm is what it used to be called. And there's an old sign where you see the word Idle Hour written in reverse. For, the photograph is taken from inside the property. And there used to be like an archway over the main driveway hmm. that said Idle Hour Farm written in sticks like you would see in, a, in the Adirondacks. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. So that's, I don't know, that's the five-year plan. And then uh, we, we were talking a little bit about the, the digital, like where's the digital world going to be in five years from now? You, you, in five years from now, you should be able to just think of something and then your machine will spit it out for you. <laughs> so that's <laughs> what we're not. hoping we'll for. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about you, David? What's, like, what's your next five years look like? The honest answer is I have no idea. I don't think that far ahead. And I change my mind all the time. Right now, I only I only like to think a year down the road or a month or two down the road. I just like to be able to pivot. And I don't know if I'll still be making YouTube videos five years from now. I right now that's my that's my main passion. But like I said, I change my mind all the time. And example of that is don't tell anybody. This is just for the listeners. Don't let anybody else know. Um, okay. I'm changing my name from the drunken woodworker for a couple of reasons because. Mm. I don't want to be pigeonholed into just being a woodworker. And I want to be something way beyond that, more of an artist. And I'm I'm using all these different types of materials to create my art. And I'm finding a lot of like high school kids. And there was a junior high class that made some of my, my boxes. And it makes me feel weird that... You know, they're using plans from somebody named the Drunken Woodworker. So I've told everybody for the past year that I'm not changing my name. Well, I changed my mind, so I'm changing my name. <laughs> how does that, can I ask you, how does that work? Because I noticed some people from time to time change their name. Can you change your, your? is it part of your URL or is your URL David Petrudo? 
Your URL on YouTube, that is. My URL on YouTube, I think, is Drunken Wood. Um, and I think that is something I can change. Now, I know there are going to be some sites where you can't change your URL path. There's going to be some issues with when I actually change my website. This is going to be maybe a year down the road. But when I change the URL of my actual website, there could be some search en- engine optimization issues. So I got to prepare for all this. And it's going to be a slow process. I don't even know what my name is going to be. It might just go by my last name, Pachudo. So Carl. Carl, I'm gonna <laughs> should be Carl. Just just Carl, like Prince. Carl. Um, so <laughs> asking me where I'm gonna be in five years is a really tough question because I, I don't know. I, I change my mind all the time. And we may not even be able to find you in five years because you're gonna have a different name and a different URL. <laughs> and oh, man. Where's Carl? <laughs> Carl. Carl.com. I'm, so, I'm, I'm so sure afraid. that's open. Uh, the reason I ask is this, I'm so afraid, like. I remember when uh, YouTube and Google, I guess they joined forces about four or five years ago, maybe longer. I don't really pay attention too much. But all I know is that I kept getting these prompts every day. It's like, you must combine your Google with your YouTube. You must combine your Google. And I was like, I was so fearful that if I clicked the wrong thing, I was going to lose all my subscribers, which at the time was like 3,000. And I had, I was so fearful, so I never did it. So now I have there's like a, a a Google Plus account of me like kind of leaning on my bench with my arm down, and then there's my YouTube channel. And I don't care about that Google Plus account. I wish I could just delete it. Like I don't I don't know how that Google Plus thing works. It makes no sense to me. I, I just always seem to find hateful comments on all of those Google Plus accounts anyway. So <laughs> I I don't know how to get rid of that and or combine it. So I just keep it separate. Like once in a while I'll be making a comment, you know, always positive inside someone's video. And then all of a sudden I hit post and it's that picture of me like leaning on my bench. And some people are like, is this really Jimmy? Who is this? So <laughs> I have two Google accounts, you know, and, and then that one is getting subscribers on YouTube and there's no YouTube channel. Like I go to it and it's like, oh, YouTube puts together, like if they notice, do you guys know that? If YouTube notices enough like content in the, in the ether on, on you, it'll like make an automatic YouTube channel for you. Did you know that? No. I found the YouTube channel of me. I'm like, I didn't set this up. I mean, of course, there's hackers that set up these ones that I'm finding more of. But there's one by YouTube that they go, oh, we found all these videos of you. So we just put up this like spontaneous website or this spontaneous YouTube channel of you. What Google and wants, weird. Google gets. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, I, I don't really mind when people knock me off. But like I said, I'm just so fearful of like playing around with my URL uh, in, in the world of YouTube that I might just like delete my account. Yeah. So I never play with it. So I'm just uh, I'm just wondering how you'd go about changing your name in that in that little well, arena. I, I guess I'll I guess I'll let you know because it's going to slowly happen over time. I do hope in five years that I have a lot more skills in a lot more areas that I know nothing about now. So I'm ho- I hope I hope I'm smarter. I hope I'm more of what I would consider an artist. We'll, we'll see. You talked about welding. Did you did you ever get into welding at all? I'm, I remember that was one of your postulates a couple of years ago. I was talking about weld. That could happen any day. I, I mean, I got I got the welder. We we cleaned out the garage about three weeks ago to to use that area for welding. And I just need to just need to get started. Mm-hmm. So cool. We've got an episode on that. You can go back and listen to I'm, it. So you know, <laughs> I might have can to. get motivated. <laughs> <laughs> so Bob, where are you going to be at in five years? Um, I'm kind of like you in that, well, I'm, I am and I'm not like what you just said. So I am in that I don't really know where I'm going to be in five years because I don't plan that far ahead. 
because I like to be able to change. That being said, I don't have any plans to change. You know what I mean? Um, I like to to keep things well. Like I was talking about my shop and my my office, I, I keep things modular in a way that it makes them easy to kind of shift, you know, and and make it what it, what I need it to be right now. So I think you know, in five years, I I hope to be doing the same type of stuff that I'm doing now, but shifting them as I shifting like my skills and my tools and my space and my focus to what interests me along the way. But I don't think it's going to be a departure, you know, from what I'm doing now or anything. I do think, you know, in five years, I would like to get fully away from making things that I don't really want to make. <laughs> and I know it sounds like, you know, where we are, it sounds like we should be able to make only the stuff that we want to make. But it's not really the case because, you know, you have to have content for videos. You have to have people that pay you to make things so that you have food and stuff like that. But I would love to get to the point to where there was enough infrastructure to provide me income to where I could just really focus on the things that I, I want to do. Because like right now, I've done these uh, like the floating shelves I was talking about. Those are both for my friends, and I'm glad to be able to do things for my friends. But those are things that I wouldn't have made otherwise, right? They're just, they're just things that people ask me to do, and I'm I'm happy to do it. I would like to be able to have my time scheduled in a way that, like, yes, this week I'm going to make a go kart with my son, you know, or this week I'm going to make just some random thing that I don't need that has no real purpose other than like me learning how to make it, and so that's. Yeah. You know, this career for me is relatively young, obviously, just a couple of months. So I don't expect to be there for a little while. But I think that's kind of where I'm going. That and I definitely want to um, find new ways to teach over the next several years. Like, I would love to be able to do some workshop and like speaking event type things and, and some like really dedicated teaching moments because I really enjoy doing that. And, um, so hopefully I can find some of that stuff or create some of that stuff, you know. I can have you guys uh, individually come or together come. And, and I know it sounds like I'm just joking because it's an opportunity to say it, but it, it would be great to like be able to have a weekend where I could have you guys come, you know, together or individually or, you know, Jay Bates or somebody or even Steve Ramsey come and spend a weekend at the house and, and you mm -hmm. know, do like a seminar in this, you know, futuristic garage if that I want to build. Because, because I have the, uh, you know, the, uh, the inn, literally. Yeah. It will be about 300 feet away. So that's that'll yeah. be fun. So you have a job with me in five years. <laughs> nice. Thanks. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and quit everything else, yeah. and uh, I'll just plan on that five years. <laughs> I got to sell a lot of pencils. <laughs> yeah. I just want, I want to change my answer to Bob's answer. Just, <laughs> just I want to make what I want to what I want to make. We can't always do that because I have to do things that are actually going to make me money. Well, you know, I, I, I always want to make what I want to make, but then when somebody writes me a, a fan, writes me a super sweet note and says, I want to surprise my boyfriend with like a, a compact case. Is there any way you could do something cool? And I immediately am like, oh, wow, I could make a leather. You know, like I think on it for a couple of days and I'm like, oh, let me make it with brass frame and leather. And these are things I wouldn't have thought of unless somebody hit me yeah. in the face with this project, you know? So I'm always That's open to that kind of thing when somebody just says, hey, out of nowhere, could you make a bar cart for my husband and it's our anniversary? And that's how that, that is that's how also that came about last month. And uh, I'm like, oh, cool. Let's make a bar cart. I got these cool wheels. I know it could totally work perfect for that. And uh, so I like being kind of challenged with, with things otherwise. But uh, when it comes to like 
doing a built-in kitchen and all. I, somebody just said, hey, can you do my kitchen? I have a $40,000 budget. And I was like, that's not fun. I, I, I hate doing cabinets and I hate carrying things into buildings. And so I am able to be a little bit more choosy. There was a time when if somebody said, do you want to do my $40,000 kitchen? I would have jumped through hoops to say yes. But I just said, no, it's just too complicated at the end of the day. You know, you make $8,000 profit and it's just not fun getting through all that to do that. And so I guess I could say I am in a, in a, in a position to, to accept the things I want to do, but even though they do seem corporate and stuff like that, I look at them as, as good fodder for my YouTube channel too. And like yeah, Bob, the, yeah. the, that shelf project was, was awesome. It was like such a simple Thanks. project that, that anybody could do. And then if you just saw those shelves stuck in between the niche, nobody would have known that they're on two sliders. And like I said, I did very almost exactly the same thing in my apartment here in my bedroom. I have a big window niche and I did it just like that with the wood on the side, the shelf slides over them. So it's mm-hmm. a really good, simple little trick to show. And you, you probably wouldn't have thought of it if your friends didn't say, Hey, how can you do that? And you, you know, your brain dismantled yeah. it, put it together and you're like, Oh, that's a good video. So I'm always yeah. looking for good I, fodder and, and it's a good opportunity is when people challenge you. I guess one of the big different differentiations there is like labor versus work. You know, like if we uh-huh. think of like that type of problem solving, somebody wants you to make a thing and you have to figure out how to do it. That's fun. That's like the creative side of, of the work. You know, doing a kitchen is labor because it's like you're just, you're a tool at that point, you know, producing a, a certain piece of work that, I mean, unless somebody says like, hey, I want a, I want an upside down kitchen. Can you figure out how to do that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> That's a cool problem to solve, you know. Um, so, yeah, I guess maybe having just fully the opportunity to, to solve problems in the stuff that you're doing rather than like, I have to make more cutting boards because I can sell them for a decent amount of money, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But yeah, no, I I like, I like the challenge because it it just, uh, all of a sudden you're you're hit with a whole new set of problems you otherwise wouldn't thought of. And I say problems in a good way, like problem solving. And, uh, that's why I like people just hit me in the face with something I otherwise wouldn't have thought of. Like, Mm -hmm. Okay, when, you, you heard it here first. Jimmy likes to be hit in the face with things. So next time you see him, <laughs> there's somebody going meant. around the city hitting women in the face with a bag of something. So I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that. Really, guy. you got to get out of that city. <laughs> he's walking around with like a canvas bag that has like something heavy in it, and he's like smacking people in the face with it. It's, it's crazy. The city is crazy, and yeah. uh, no, nobody's been like you know killed. And you know, fortunately, uh, fortunately, no one's been killed. But uh, so I like the idea of being challenged. Um, I get more challenges than I have the time to deal with. So I do get a lot of emails where people say, could you make me this? And could you make me that? That's, that's always a good challenge is when somebody proposes a project to me. And then uh, I was just about to say, Dickel said to me, hey, can you come up with like five projects for five concepts for displays? And one of them, if one of them's good, we'll do it. And that's when I came up with the idea to do the truck bed. I said, this would be the most expensive, logistically, the biggest uh, difficult one. And that was the one they liked. And, you know, I didn't invent it, but I could, I could come up with my own version of it. And, uh, and that's what I've been doing. So that was good. They just basically said, hey, if you could do anything, what would you do? And I was like, these are the five things I would do. And they picked that one, which I was hoping they would. Hmm. So, and now, you know, and I'm getting paid for it. And then I'm going to get a really killer video, too. So. See, I, I mean, I, I think I have a different mindset than, than the both of you. It's where I, I don't think I'm an artist now, but I want to be an artist someday. And so I want to be able to just create something on my own that's not problem solving, but just create this, this piece, whether it has a function or not, and then possibly sell that or just use it. And that, that, that's my goal is to create 
I think uh, I think we just got a new topic for another episode, which is what makes an artist. That's that, mm. that's a tough one. That's going to be a real tough one. <laughs> and and I your, think you are. your new name so is I don't know why. the artist formerly known as Carl. <laughs> <laughs> the artist formerly known as the drunken woodworker. No, you, dude, you, you're an artist. I don't know why would you would doubt yourself for a minute. Well, well you really I think you. I mean, you're, you're you're a graphic designer. You're you're a musician above all, aren't you? Don't you picture yourself as a musician above everything else? Yeah, sure. And I think don't all don't all artists have this this weird issue about themselves. So. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Not all of them. Not all of them. Just the yeah. cool ones. <laughs> Just the really good ones. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, no, let's step no. back from this. Let's take this topic back from us and like just think of like making stuff in general in five years. Mm-hmm. What do we think is different? Yeah. Personally, I don't think anything's going to be different from a, from a general making standpoint. I think there will be some new technologies that will make... Um, reproduction of goods faster and easier and cheaper but you know like the the more common cnc machines come become it's easier to make repeatable things but mm-hmm. you know there's no way a cnc machine would ever be able to cut that shelf that i did to fit that particular space because it only needs to happen one time you know what i mean that's like that it's right. just not the right tool for the thing i think so oh, go, go ahead. ahead i'm sorry no, I just I don't I don't see that much changing from a like purpose built standpoint. For five I think years. things are going to be easier for the common person to build things. So maybe there's going to be this new crazy jigsaw that helps you cut a straight line, or uh, it follows a pencil line. People who don't create and build things now that'll open doors for them to do that in the future. Do you guys remember? Uh... Conan when he was to do in the year 2000 yeah. and he would come out <laughs> yeah yes. and he was doing it even up to like 2005 <laughs> he was predicting yeah. the future no I I think uh, you know the, the progression of what's gone like since my first make affair in like say I don't know 2010 or 2011 I forget till now I've seen so much progress it's amazing to see like what's now available to 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 anybody that's willing to spend a couple thousand dollars you know the CNC machines now are under a thousand dollars and uh Printers are 3D printers are affordable, uh, you know, relatively speaking. And anybody can do anything. My buddy just got a 3D printer. I haven't seen him for like a week and he just shows up at the shop. He's like, check out what I made. And he picks something off a thing of ours. He said, but just getting to this point, he made the octopus that you see in some of this stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Getting to that point, all this learning curve has to take place. But once the learning curve is done, He's like, now I'm all excited. I want to make this. He's going to make this. He's going to make gun parts. He's going to do all this crazy stuff. Um, So I think that's going to accelerate in the next five years. And you're going to see more and more people just home manufacturing stuff, even even if just personal stuff, which is really obviously probably more prevalent than than making things for sale. But um, it's it's interesting to see. I remember a time when you know, when I was in the toy business, everything had to literally be handmade, no matter what it was. You had to, if you were going to vacuum form the shape of a toy, you would make the toy out of wood, and then you'd cut it down the parting line, and then you vacuum form both halves, and you make the shell, and all that would take days of just handwork. And then that would just be the prototype to sell a looks like, works like. And then if it did sell, then the toy company would then take it to another step. Some toy companies like Hasbro have the facilities to actually get things 3D printed and actually get things designed, talking in the last 10 years. So you could imagine how inaccessible that was for the, for the lay person. So now I could literally design something, it, just again, the learning curve of the software. If I could design something with either with a friend that's better at it 
I can guide them through it, and then we can have a 3D printable part. It's, it's great. My high school students, every time I go there, the 3D printer's running, making something for somebody's project. I think that learning yeah. curve is going to be shorter as well, because I think there's yeah. going to be more people making websites, making videos on, on how to do all this stuff, right? I think like the, the cable TV generation is going to go away, and it's all going to be internet. It's all going to be specialized yeah. uh, how-to and and artsy mm -hmm. and make 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 type videos. And so I think that learning curve is really going to shorten up. To I think over point, the next five I, years, the, the, the problem to solve there in that type of digital manufacturing stuff is totally a user experience thing at this point. Like the tools are mm -hmm. there, right? The 3D printers can produce ridiculous quality now. And it, that will continue mm -hmm. to get better. But that learning curve is not about... Um, that the software is not available. It's not about, you know, that the hardware is not available. It's really at this point about how do we make it accessible or how do the engineers, you know, wherever they are, um, make it accessible so that any person with no experience can come in and not that they can just have it done for them, but that they can learn how to do it in a reasonable amount of time. Because right now, if you take someone with zero CAD experience and you drop them in even the simplest 3D, you know, 3D design program and you say like, make a cube that's hollow on the inside and has, you know, like a, a, a border around the outside, just a cube. That's so difficult for someone with no experience because the language is different. The, you know, from like what you, what normal people would say, how they would talk about that shape versus what software would say about that shape. So there's a bunch of just user experience, experience stuff that has to be fixed for that stuff to be accessible where it should be, you know, and five years is a lot of time to, for that to happen, so it's very plausible. But. Yeah, I think it starts in, in schools, right? In the 90s, every school had some sort of computer class. And so now all these 90s kids and kids born after that just know computers. They just, they've been around mm -hmm. it and they just know it. And I think a lot of this stuff is going to, or at least I hope so, is integrated into schools. So the younger generation is just going to know this, this stuff without even thinking. You know, it's funny. You remind me of a time. I probably said this before on the podcast. I, I teach at this one high school that obviously has the facilities to, to, for students to have 3D printers available. Then I, I did a lecture at another high school, which was sort of in like a little... It's not. A, it's a public school, and I said to all the grades. I talked to all the grades on Korea. I said, "How many people know what three D printing is?" And hardly any of them even knew. I was like, yeah. nah, "They obviously don't have access to it." But besides the fact they didn't even they haven't even been exposed to it, and this is a public high school in New York State, I was very surprised. Most of the students, like, yeah. uh, one or two of them, are like, "Yeah, I kind of heard of it," but like they have no visual experience of it, so it doesn't mean anything to them. And Whereas this other high school experience I have, it's all about the whole technology cutting edge. Arduino. I said, Does any, they didn't even know what Arduino was. Nobody even heard of that. I mean, 3D printing, only because it's been in the news, so they knew that. But uh, it's kind of, you know, it's just amazing, like the, the spectrum of experience, high school experiences that anybody randomly could be chosen to be involved in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I guess you also have to have, uh, you have to have your own curiosity. And I guess also the exposure is probably the beginning of it yeah. so but um uh, one other thing talking about the software what i'm noticing now more with young people is i remember a time when it was like i wanted to learn maya or 3d max or and i thought to myself oh my god it's like learning how to speak japanese and chinese and, and spanish all at the same time it was so much to know but now the net result of knowing that is 3d printing so it's like oh hey i want to 3d print Oh, okay. I have to learn Maya. I have to learn 3D. Okay, cool. I just want to learn how to print. 
So what I'm saying is, is that was the big hurdle was just learning how to use a software. Yeah. And now I see these people eagerly jumping right into wanting to 3D print and all that other stuff is just consequential. Consequential. You know what I mean? It's like a, it's a lot not of times, the hurdle that it used to be. Yeah. Well, a lot of times it just needs to be broken down. Somebody can say, "Hey, I right. want to learn Photoshop." That's that's too broad. Photoshop has many uses. You can use Photoshop for right. color correction. You can use Photoshop for manipulating photos or creating art. Like, what do you want to use it for? Learn that, and right. then that other stuff will come to you. Right, right. And then, of course, Thingiverse helps people get jump started too. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And Thingiverse has actually been really good for me as I've, you know, I'm just getting into 3D printing, and I do have some. 3D modeling experience from college and stuff, but I'm kind of far removed from that. But the Thingiverse stuff has been really handy to help me get used to the hardware because you know yeah. the designs on there are standard. Like they're things that people have printed for a couple of years now, and you know what the potential is for a particular model. So then I can bring it into my local printer here that I built, and when that print comes out and it doesn't look like the one that everybody else printed, I know that my printer is not set up correctly. And so that, you know, so having those kind of standardized pieces there is really helpful in debugging the hardware side of things, you know, if you have something out of alignment or, you know, whatever the case may be, which is what I'm running yeah. into personally with 3D printing right now. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. there, there's a lot of moving well, parts to that. I mean, the software and the hardware are both, you know, kind of always in flux at this point because it's relatively new. When uh, when the three of us have more experience with three D printing, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll do an episode on it. Yeah, so. it'd be good. Do your homework, David. I need to be exposed to it. I need to be exposed to it. I don't. I don't have. I don't have access to one. Well, now, now, if anybody's listening, send David <laughs> six pack and a three D printer. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, you guys got any other thoughts on? Uh, the future of stuff. I think we covered it. I think we nailed down what the future is. Cool. Yeah. So now everybody unknown. knows what to expect. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, this week we want to thank Luis Gonzalez, Jeremy Paulin, Jeremy White, and Juan Vargas, um, and everybody else at Patreon for supporting the show. Uh, thank we you. Really appreciate that, and uh, it's, it's just awesome to like get feedback from everybody over there and to feel supported. So thank you for that. I uh, also want to thank Inventables for sponsoring this one. But before we go, as we're starting to do every time, what are we watching? Jimmy, what are you watching? Uh, well, this week, just playing around and experimenting with my car and taking it as an opportunity to learn, I started uh, Googling how the four-speed transmission in my car works. And I found a really, really cool channel called Mechanical, I'm sorry, Mechanics Tips. Mechanics Tips is a great place where everything's like broken down and explained. And there's also good short, it's all CGI videos discussing and telling how things work. And then also uh, watching that, I got another link to, uh, he must be a 3D artist. And his name is Thomas Schwenke, S-C-H-W-E-N-K-E. And uh, his channel is all 3D models of mechanical parts moving and explained and dismantled and exploded hmm. so if there's anything you ever needed to want to understand like you know how a supercharged motor works or how a transmission works how automatic transmission works it's all broken down on those two channels what else what else you guys got i tried to not go with the obvious i'm trying to avoid woodworking ones so and i've mentioned this one a couple times before but i don't think i've used it for this segment and this channel is called cook with meat 
and oh, yeah. it is it's such an awesome channel he's cooking with meat it's filmed in a great way the food looks absolutely delicious they're just entertaining videos to watch i watch every one of his videos but i've never attempted to make anything i just like watching it it's so good so that is called cook hmm. with meat nice cool I've been, um, well, actually, before I tell mine, I'm going to be doing this uh, event called STEM Chat on Tuesday, Tuesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern. And it's uh, kind of a video chat of me and a couple other people talking about getting kids into engineering and making stuff. And, um, and actually, last week, I, I talked about uh, themakermom.com, a lady I met in, in Chicago, and she's hosting it. So we're going to be doing that on Tuesday night. So if you guys want to listen to that, I'll put a link to it in the, the show notes. But as far as YouTube and stuff, I've been watching Flight Test. You guys ever seen Flight Test? No. So they do these of videos of like drones and RC planes and they build planes and they fly planes and they it's just all sorts of stuff. They're really well-made videos. But once you start watching the types of builds that they do and these, like the one I watched this week was a, this guy made like a, a big cargo plane you know, like a C-100 or whatever they are. Um, but it's it's like six feet long, like eight feet across, and it's made out of this foam, and it has like a, a big gate, cargo gate on the bottom that's actuated that comes down, and it's all RC controlled, and he built it from scratch. So they got some really cool stuff. And then uh, another video that's not really a channel, but David, have you ever heard of a microtonal guitar? No, I have no idea what that is. Okay, I'm going to put this link in there. This guy took... A, I guess this is a thing. I just never heard of it. He's not like the first person to do it. But you add frets to a guitar at different places in between frets to get microtones. And so you can do different scales from like different, you know, uh, like Indian Indian music, like Bollywood type. Those scales that they play in that type of music, uh-huh. you can produce those tones in a bunch of different types of music. That's just one of the examples. But so anyway, this guy, is, this video is this guy playing two different guitars with different microtonal uh, things. It's it's insane looking. I don't know how in the world you would keep track of it, but I'll put a link to it. It's really pretty amazing. So Nice. Yeah, that's what I'm watching. Uh, so I guess that'll wrap it up for us this week. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Send us some more topic suggestions. Oh, wait. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to be at the Wooden Boat Show at Mr. Connecticut on Sunday. If anybody's around, come find me. Come find Jimmy and send him some more topic suggestions. And he likes to be hit in the face, pencils. he said so. <laughs> <laughs> Buy pencils so that Bob has a place to teach in five years. There you go. <laughs> all right, that was fun. Cool. Thanks, guys. See you guys. Thank Bye. you all. Bye.